Amen. Thank you all. Our scripture lesson today comes from Mark 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could come and anoint Jesus. Then, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb just at sunrise. They were saying to one another, There's that stone at the door of the tomb. Who's going to roll it away for us? Then they looked up. They saw that it had been rolled away. It was extremely large. So they went into the tomb, and there they saw a young man sitting on the right-hand side. He was wearing white. They were totally astonished. Don't be astonished, he said to them. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, this is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just like he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb. Trembling and panic had seized them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, grant us ears that are willing to hear, eyes that are willing to see, hearts that are willing to receive, so that as we read your word, meditate on it, and speak it amongst ourselves, that our thoughts and our words will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My... uh, last commander in the Air Force had this saying. Uh, She would say that 50% of life is just showing up. And I thought to myself, you know, Colonel Fournier, that's that's pretty lame. I didn't tell her. I'm I'm smart enough not to actually tell her that. But uh, I said, that's, that's, I don't know. I I I never really liked that. But but the the more she said it and the more I was around, I started to realize what she was, was getting at because what Colonel Fournier was identifying was that uh, showing up demonstrates the, the wherewithal that it takes to stick with something, to keep showing up, to stick through the worst of times. And, and, and even when you're confused, even when you don't know what to do, uh, to just show up and to risk being there and that there's power in that. Those of you who've been through hard times uh, may know the power that is demonstrated when a friend just shows up. And they don't necessarily have the answers. They might not have the right thing to say. They may even say something dumb. But they showed up. And it makes all the difference that they were there for you. There's power in showing up. Now over the last uh, week, I, I encouraged folks last Sunday at the joint service to dwell in this story of the Passion. And to go through Mark 14 and 15 a couple of times through the week. And maybe you got a chance to do that. And if you were at our services this week, you may have noticed that we were emphasizing doing that. On the Wednesday night study, I asked people to uh, read through 
the passion story in Mark 14 and 15, and I gave them a character or a person in the story, and I wanted them to think about what was happening to Jesus from that person's perspective so they could learn to identify with the story, to write themselves into it, to, to, to see what was happening for Jesus and to, to own it in their own lives. That was Wednesday. Then Thursday night at the Monday Thursday service that, that so many of y'all got to be there for, after the meal that we shared together, just like Jesus' disciples shared that meal together in the upper room, uh, we then went to the sanctuary at, at Mount Olive, and I read through that story again, slowly, bit by bit, to help us hear it again, to hear it afresh, and to watch Jesus' life uh, be extinguished, to hear about that as we, as we put the candles out, to live into that story again. And those of you uh, who were there or who sang at the service on Good Friday, we did basically the same thing in song. We weren't just in Mark there. We had uh, all of the different Gospels represented in the story as we sang it and told it. But you heard it again there. You heard the story of what happened to Jesus on Good Friday. And as we were going through those stories this week, there are these characters that kept showing up. These people who kept appearing, these partic- this particular group of people. And I've been thinking about them and sort of dwelling with them this week. And here they show up again, as we just read in Mark 16. It's the women, Mary and Mary and Salome. Uh, and, and Salome. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Mary Magdalene. And then Salome. They keep showing up in the story. In the crucifixion uh, story, in the Passion, uh, we're told that the women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, and some others as well, watched at a distance as Jesus was on the cross. They watched at a distance. And they might say, they're, they're at a distance, but really, they do more than anyone else. They show up. It's huge. They're actually there. Peter has denied Jesus three times and he disappears. In the Gospel of Mark, Judas, after he betrays Jesus, we hear no more of him. Jesus tells his disciples that they will strike the sheep, uh, the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And the disciples flee to their own purposes, or at least the male disciples do. But the women keep showing up. Mary, Mary, and Salome. We're told that they had attended to Jesus during His ministry in Galilee. They supplied His needs. They took care of Him. They waited on Him. They uh, learned from Him. They were with Him through His ministry in Galilee. They showed up. They showed up. And it's not to say that they uh, earned their salvation or that they had everything figured out, but they kept showing up. They kept showing up. And there, as they look upon Jesus on the cross, there's nothing they can do anymore. There's no way that they can attend to Him. They can't meet any of His needs. He is about to die. But at least they show up. At least they're there to be with their friend as He dies. They learn that Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pontius Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus and then Joseph puts it in his own tomb. And the last thing we hear in Mark 15 is that Mary and Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, see where Jesus has been entombed. They see where He's been entombed. 
And then we meet them again here. We meet them again in Mark 16 in the Scripture that we just read. The women have been watching on Jesus on the cross. And then they watched Him as He was entombed. And then we read in Mark 16 that Salome and Mary and Mary, who had attended Jesus in Galilee, decide that they will attend to His needs in death. And they take spices and they go to the tomb and they're going to anoint His body. They're going to do the things that loved ones would do for uh, one of their own when that person died. They're going to go attend to His needs for the final time, so they think. And they show up. Nobody else shows up, but they show up. They go to the tomb. And they go without a plan. They don't know really what they're going to do when they get there. They have the spices that they want... They want to anoint his body, but they ask themselves as they travel, who will roll the stone away? They get up early that morning. They muster themselves before dawn on the first day of the week. And they go toward the tomb and they say, who will roll the stone away when we get there? Now let's pause in the story a minute. And I kind of identify where we are. All right. Any, of, any English teachers here? No English teachers? Well, you probably took an English class at some point, and it puts you back in English class for a minute. You learned about something called dramatic irony, okay? Dramatic irony is when you know something that the characters in the story don't. That's what's going on in this scene. It's early in the morning on the first day, dramatic irony. Because what happens on the first day? We go back to the story of Genesis. God creates the world in six days. The first day God begins the creation. And then He rests on the seventh. So the beginning of the new week is a sign of the beginning of creation. And so as Mary and Mary and Salome go to the tomb, they don't know it. We know it. They're walking towards new creation that's going to start with Jesus. And then they ask themselves as they go, who will roll the stone away? It's big. It's extremely large, we're told. Who will roll the stone away? They don't know, but we know. Because we've read this story before. They're living it for the first time. We remember this all the time. We know how the stone's going to get rolled away. The power of God is going to enable, and we're not told exactly how it happens, but the stone is gone and it's through the goodness of God. God is going to get that stone rolled away. They don't know it, but we do know it. And Mark tells the story this way because he wants us to identify with these women as they go. He wants us to walk along with them, in a sense, encouraging them along the way. It's sort of like if you've ever watched a horror movie and you know what's the monster or whatever it is that's behind the door, and you say to the characters on the screen, don't go through that door, don't go through that door. Here it's that in reverse. As we go with the women and we hear their journey up on that morning, the first day of the week, and they ask themselves, who will roll the stone away? We are saying it to them, you're going to see, walk through that door where the stone used to be. Walk through that portal and into the tomb you're going to find out. It's Mark's way of putting us right there with them. So put yourself in your mind right there with the women this morning as they go to the tomb. They get there. They see 
that the stone, this extremely large stone, is gone. And Mark tells us, they entered in. They go in. Now let's name that this is an act of bravery, of boldness. They've had to take their courage in both hands and go through that door. Yes, they wanted it rolled away, but they were expecting to have to ask somebody. This is an extremely large stone that even the three of them apparently couldn't have moved themselves. What sort of power is on the other side of that door? They don't know. They have no idea what they're going to meet when they walk in to that tomb. And so while they were probably terrified, they took their fear and they, they mustered their guts and they walked right in there and they found out. I mean, who else had business there at the tomb? They knew about it. Joseph of Arimathea knew about it. Maybe some of his people could have done it. Maybe it was the Romans. Maybe it was the chief priest. Has something happened to Jesus? They've got to be worried as they go. They're going to confront something powerful. But what they find as they walk through that door is even more powerful than they possibly could have realized. What they find on the other side of that door is a young man dressed in white. A young man dressed in white. Here again, Mark is doing something to his readers. He's wanting us to think back about where we might have seen something like that before. And if uh, we've been painting... Do y'all remember uh, Transfiguration Sunday uh, a while back? I don't know if I was here for, for Transfiguration Sunday or not. But we talked, and you probably know the story. Jesus goes up on the mountain with his disciple, with a couple of his disciples, and there he's transfigured before them. The glory of the Lord shines through him. And you hear the voice from heaven where the Father says, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. And we're told that Jesus' clothes become a shining, bright whiteness. Jesus in those white clothes. The, the white clothes are a symbol of the revealing of the purity and the power and the holiness and the glory of God. And when the women walk into the tomb and they encounter a young man in white, it's that that Mark is wanting us to recall. Now maybe your mind doesn't go back that far, but maybe you remember this particular, this particular line from the Passion story back in Mark 14 verse 51. We're told that there is a certain young man. We're not given his name. He's a certain young man was following Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They, the crowds, took a hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. A guy who was wearing a linen cloth, a certain guy, a young man who runs off naked. You think it's the same guy? I think Mark wants us to realize it's the same guy. This young man, whoever he was, he's not given a name. This mysterious figure who has had to flee in nakedness and nothingness and fear shows back up with a message to proclaim. He's left back earlier on the, on the, on the other side of the cross. He has nothing. And now he has a witness to the most amazing power in the history of human life. He starts with nothing and he ends on the other side of the cross and the other side of the resurrection with everything. 
And Mark is wanting us to realize the transformation that this young man represents. A transformation that's possible for me and you. For me and you. It's a first Easter sermon. And John, I mentioned this this morning at the sunrise service. And John, it is uh, Mary who has the first Easter sermon. When she goes back and tells the disciples that Jesus is risen. The two angels tell her to go. Here in Mark's story of the resurrection, it's the young man who tells Mary and Mary and Salome the first Easter sermon. And here it is. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look, this is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. First Easter sermon. First Easter sermon that this young man delivers. This young man dressed in white. Now you may notice that uh, I am trying to give you a visual image here this morning. I normally here, I, I might wear a suit. I usually, I mean, I always wear a shirt, but sometimes it has a tie and other times it doesn't. I don't think I've ever worn a robe here. But this morning, I, I want to give you the visual of the young man in white. What I'm actually, this is the thing that I'm wearing. Uh, it's not just because I want to dress fancy on Easter. It's called an owl. And some of you, hopefully all of you, but uh, um, ideally when you are baptized and you come up out of the water, they put a white robe on you. Sound familiar? You've seen that before maybe? That's called, a, that's called an owl. It's just Latin for white. It's just a white tunic. So this isn't a special preacher robe. You could wear this any day of the week if you wanted to. Uh, anyone who's baptized, it's a sign of your baptism. People might think you're funny if you just wear it around, but you, you could. It's a sign that all Christians share together that we are baptized. Now, early in the church, they baptized people naked. So uh, we're not going to do that here. Don't worry about that. Uh, but they would baptize you naked, and after you came up out of the water, they put, uh, they put the white robe on you. So I'm wearing this to make a point this morning. To make a point this morning. Does it sound familiar going from nakedness and baptism to being clothed in white? It's just like this young man who's gone from running in fear to having the power of life that he gets to declare. It's the same thing that happens to us when we realize what Christ has done and we become Christians and perhaps we are baptized and we go from nothingness to everything. From nakedness to a great, uh, to clothing ourselves in purity and the holiness of God and the glory of God shining through our lives. That's for all of us to share. That's for all of us to share. It's my particular job on this Sunday morning to preach to you about the good news of Jesus. But it's all of your jobs as those who are baptized, as those who have taken the name of Christ, to, and no matter uh, what walk of life God has given you, to share the good news. Amen. Sometimes you do that by word. Sometimes you do that indeed. Really, you have to do them both together. It's all of ours together to do what this young man did at the tomb and to tell others that Jesus isn't dead. He's risen and that changes everything. It changes everything. Now you may notice too, making another point here. I like to think I make points every Sunday, but here in particular, I'm trying to make some visual points. Uh, if you were at the sunrise service, uh, and you will remember this from, from Good Friday for sure. We have this black cloth that is on the cross to, to symbolize for us the darkness of Jesus' death, the depths 
to which he went. And as we uh, worshipped this morning at the sunrise service, we took off that black cloth, and I put it right here, and uh, this isn't technically a stole, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, something, it's just the black cloth, uh, and, uh, and we put a white cloth on it, just like the one, just like the one that you see there, to, to visualize, for, or to help us visualize that we've gone from blackness and defeat to glory. So I wear this, and it's something that you all, could, you all could take with you, because what we bear as Christians is the message of the cross. That the worst thing that has ever happened in the world, that the worst thing that has ever happened in the world has been turned into glory. And that through Jesus' death, we might be born into life. So this is a sign, not just for me, but for all of us, for all of us, that we carry forth the message of of the cross, that through Jesus' death we might be born into new life. The young man commissions the women. He sends them out. He says, Mary, Mary, Salome, don't be afraid. Jesus is risen. Go meet him in Galilee. Go meet him in Galilee. And then we're told in verse 8, we're told in verse 8 that uh, so they went out from the tomb. For terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Terror and amazement seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Dot, dot, dot. That's the end of the lesson. That's not just the end of the passage we read, that's actually the end of the Gospel of Mark as we have it. Now, you will, if you're looking in your Bibles, you might see some verses after this, starting with verse 9 on down to verse 20. The, and you will probably see in the notes section of your Bible that those are what's called the shorter ending and the longer ending of Mark, and they're probably in brackets. The very earliest copies that we have of the Gospel of Mark don't have those endings. They were added on later because somebody said, well, Something else needs to happen, right? They just ran off in, in terror. And it could be that there originally was a longer ending to Mark and it got you know, uh, destroyed with uh, the, the copies that we have. But at least as we have it, as, and as we know about it, the original ending to Mark ends here with the women fleeing in terror and amazement. Dot, dot, dot. And I actually really like that ending. I really like that ending. Because it, what it tells us is that there's more to come. I mean, obviously they told somebody, we're reading about it right here in the Gospel of Mark, right? So they didn't end where they told no one forever. That's not the point. They go and they tell somebody eventually. They overcome their fear once again. And the power of the risen Christ enables them to do that. But this isn't a tidy ending to the story. You ever watch Matlock? All right. What Matlock at the end of every show goes up and he gets the guy to confess right there on the stand and it's this nice, tidy little ending to the story. This story isn't like that. This story is open-ended because from here, the women are going to have to go and do something. They're going to have to go tell the disciples eventually. Otherwise, we wouldn't be reading the Gospel of Mark. They ha the, the story isn't, the story stops, but the story's not done. And it's a call to us, too, that the story doesn't stop here on Easter morning. The story doesn't stop with Jesus out of the tomb. It's then given for us to go and complete that story 
in response to what we've read in Mark. It ends with a dot, dot, dot. It's for us to fulfill the rest of the story. It's for us to live into the rest of the story. It's for us to take up the message that the women took up that morning, the young man took up that morning, and go and tell others that he's not dead, he's risen. He's not dead, he's risen. They flee in trembling and panic. That's a good place to start as a Christian. Because what they realize, uh, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. What they realize is that something amazing has happened. Something that we would all be afraid of, I think. Ancient people knew just as well as, as we know now that dead people don't get up out of the grave. They knew it better. I mean, they go to attend to his dead body. They knew death very well. They had no illusions about what that meant. All of a sudden, he's alive again. They're right to be terrified. But their terror, their fear, is going to be born into a message that they have to share. Maybe they're afraid because they realize if what this young man just said is true and Jesus isn't dead, then maybe it means that we're going to have to do that stuff that he talked about and taking up our crosses and following and giving up what we have to serve others. And maybe it's going to even lead us to the same place that it led him. Because they're being born into a story that you can't possibly plan or predict. They're just going to have to live it. They're just going to have to show up. To show up into this resurrected life and start living it. Without all the answers, all they know is that Jesus is risen and that changes everything. The question for us this morning isn't just, isn't just, did Jesus get up out of the grave? I, I 100% absolutely believe that he did. And that's an important question. I can easily lapse into a historical and theological defense of that. But that's not the main question for us. It's what we worship and celebrate. The main question for us today isn't, did Easter happen? Did the resurrection happen? The main question for us is, are we going to live as a resurrection people? Are we going to live like we really believe in Easter? Are we going to live as an Easter people? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the Surprise by Hope uh, study. And thank you all for hosting one of the sessions here. I'm looking forward to it. That study is all about what it means for us to live as Christians with the hope of the resurrection. Living in response to what Jesus has done and living in anticipation of what he will do when he comes again and raises the dead. That's what it's all about. And how that can transform our lives and transform our communities. So come on out to that if you at all can. You don't need to read the book. The book's a great supplement to read, but you will have it through scripture and through the videos that we'll watch together. Help us live into that. And from that study, we're going to start asking ourselves, what does, what does resurrection look like in this community? What does it mean for us to be an Easter people to our neighbors? Those who are utterly confident that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The Christian proclamation today is, He is risen. We'll be saying that churches all over the world. He is risen. You'll probably see it on church signs all over the place. He is risen. Risen. 
Notice that it's in the present tense. Not he was risen. He is risen. Because the message of Easter, the message of the resurrection, is that the new life that God that the Father raised the Son into transforms everything. And it's still with us now because Jesus has gone to the Father and will come again so that new life may spring up on this earth that He's made. He is risen. He is risen. The question for us this morning is, will you live it? Will you live it that He is risen? I want us to all say, yes, we will to that question. So we're going to say it together. We're going to say, yes, we will with God's help. Yes, we will with God's help. Amen. Thanks be to God.